0: Stand by. Here comes your summer refreshed with
1: Graham Smith and Johnny. We, we had to state it was for entertainment purposes only and yeah. all that sort of nonsense, really. And now the landline rings. How weird. My landline never rings. Right, um, let me just shut that oh, right. so up. Like... Go on, answer it. Answer. answer it. It might be
2: Offcom.
3: <laughs> <laughs> your whole yeah. number. They ring me sometimes. Um. <laughs>
1: That's not a ghost, is it? Sorry? Nah. Bye. Oh, Oh, this is strange. No, don't. Oh, don't. Honestly.
4: Yeah, it's (laughs) (laughs) Ruddle. checking on his telly (laughs) Um,
3: (laughs) (laughs) The idea then is that you're taking on the big boys in the watch world, and how has that been going? Are they are they annoyed?
5: I, I don't know I don't, I don't really give a fuck to be honest um, <laughs>
2: <plenty>. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely massive we had uh, I think about 9,000 people along that first year and it was so busy we actually in fact had some bars over the weekend running out of booze so it kind of showed us how popular the you know the event was
0: Stand by here comes your summer refreshed with Crane Smith and Johnny
4: Ah uh, here we go uh, <sighs> summer refreshed Ah <laughs> um, uh, Welcome. Ah, I hope you
3: okay.
4: can't do that. Give us a breath again. Uh, welcome. <laughs> to summary for episode <laughs> six, our final episode in the series. Um, how are Johnny you Johnny said his
3: mother in law's there?
4: I am. I'm at my mother in law's. There's a Jack Russell about two foot away from me to the right, so if the door starts slamming. That'll be Frankie trying to get in. Or want to get it's on? the I think he does want to get on, or if the postman rocks up, believe you me, all hell will break loose. We'll uh, we'll, everyone will know. And I've got a bit of a cold as well, so... Oh, God. No, this is not oh. good. We've not seen each other in yeah. a
3: few weeks. We, we dropped an episode. Um, whilst you were on holiday, the episode dropped and you've been busy doing podcasty stuff, recording. So it's the first time I've seen your face in about three weeks. I've missed your love.
4: I know, I've missed you as well. I've missed you. It does, you go away for a week and then basically I ended up being away for like two weeks working and kind of here we are now. I've not slept in my bed in the last six nights for being away. Of oh, course. <laughs> but I was going to say, what have we missed? But it's fairly obvious what we've missed, really. We've
3: missed a big thing. There's been a big, there's been a big event. The, the the London Bridge. What do they call it? Operation London Bridge. It's done and dusted, signed
4: off. And because I live in Edinburgh, it was Operation Unicorn as well because oh, yeah. uh, the obviously, the Scottish version. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II passed away in Balmoral, so yeah, it was the Scottish version, yes. you know you'll know this because I obviously sent you the videos. When we were away on holiday, so we found out the Queen had passed away in Greece. We were in Mykonos, which is a little bit strange, obviously, being away. It, it was quite How sad, was really. It? How enough. did
3: the news filter through to you in Mykonos?
4: We got like um like a text message, uh, you know, from like the Times newspaper and it mm. flashed up, but it's kind of breaking news. Now, I really don't have any other notifications on for news sites. I just kind just of have that. that. And in fairness of the Times, it's not like breaking news when it isn't breaking news. Yeah. It kind of happens when something big. So I've got the Guardian really on get- mine
3: and they love They just lean on the button. Four times a day breaking. <laughs> That's not <laughs> no, it's, like, on that occasion it's not it breaking
4: though. at all. Um so yeah, so the Times a uh, little thing come through and I said to my wife, I said to Melissa, Oh, the Queen doesn't seem in a good way. It's now you only
3: need that bit there, not that not the, the Queen has passed. It was the, no, she's not it well as that stage. She's
4: not not well. So later on that day, the text come through and it was about It was just before half past six UK time. In Greece, it was half past eight, and I looked and I sort of said we were actually out having a meal, lovely meal, watching this sunset go down overlooking the the sea. It was amazing, and I said to Melissa, and we were with two of her friends as well who also happened to be on holiday at the same time, so we all met up. And I said, "Oh, the, the 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 Queen's died." I said, "She's you know she's she's passed away," and everyone was like, "What?" I said, "Just give it about a minute, refresh your phone and." That's what happened. And we were like, oh, but it was, it was a really, it was a really strange. Yeah, of course you would have been on air. Yeah. On air. Do you know what? Did you announce it?
3: I didn't announce it. No. I I made my What did you say when you announced it? I was like, no, there's procedure. I can't go on. Guess what, everyone? I can't, I can't do that. There was a little script. We now crossed to the newsroom for a thing. And then we crossed to the newsroom. They were on for like 10 minutes. And then we played two pieces of class. We played Nimrod out the news. You know, like right. the Warburton's theme. And then they were like, and now we hand over to our sister station, LBC. And handed over to LBC. And I thought, well, this is us. We'll be off tomorrow. Sorry, I know it sounds like a bit like, I'm just thinking of the, the <laughs> Again Again, it's is
4: procedure, isn't it? It's broadcast procedure. Yes, yeah, which but I wasn't off. all the good the radio day. stations follow. You weren't off.
3: No, I had to go in. But, and, and
4: honestly, it was all just sad songs.
3: No music underneath you at all. And just, very soft. And then, Did you think, have any
4: adverts? Don't the adverts no go adverts, as well?
3: No, not just me. News every now and again. And now we hand over
4: to the news. Is it one of those where you go, Well, let the music do the talking? Yeah, I had to you go didn't... on
3: and talk about it. Like, You've got to go on and talk about it and reflect and say, and we've seen the thing yesterday
4: and the thing and the thing. Now,
3: I'm not a royalist. So for me, mm. I was like, how do I do this? I being respectful, but also... Not really compromising who I am. Do you know what I mean? I had a lot of respect yeah. for the Queen. Lovely, lovely person. But the concept of monarchy, like a lot of people think, a bit mad. And I'm one of them. So it was it was a bit of a balancing act for some of us to think, you know, this is important to people. I've got to do what I'm meant to do. Not
4: get sacked. So at the bottom of our street, so when we we live in Edinburgh... We came back. Now, we ended up coming back on a Monday. We should have come back on a Sunday. We come back on a Monday because we missed our connection flight. Uh, BA uh, were running slightly late, so we ended up staying in London Sunday into Monday morning. Took Monday off. There you go. So we ended up on a flight at quarter past nine in the morning was loads of different people all suited and booted ready to literally just rock up in Edinburgh and start broadcasting back to said country it was amazing to see and for someone who loves radio or broadcasting it was quite cool to kind of just look around going this is like once in a lifetime you're never going to see this again Victoria Derbyshire from the BBC News and Five Live she sat right behind my wife and then about an hour or so after we got home the King landed obviously to make his way into Holyrood Palace and then subsequently joined the Queen Uh, when she was lying in rest in St. Giles Cathedral, which is about a 20-minute walk away. So the route which King Charles was taking from Edinburgh Airport in was going past our road. Now, I know you didn't come to our house, but where we were broadcasting the Fringe episode from and we recorded everything, it's that road. It's the main road. They'd resurfaced the road overnight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, there was a problem with the bins in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago. Um, the police were picking up rubbish and obviously it's a security thing. So you kind of go, okay, fair enough so everything was barricaded off <laughs> that's the main the main story of this anyway so we got back home and because we would missed our connection i was like well i don't really want to miss the king driving down the road so i was in the same clothes i'd had on the night before i'd very hastily brushed my teeth because my electric toothbrush had packed in because it had come on in the, in the bag didn't have a shower basically was stinking and i was like this is the i'm gonna literally wave at royalty here and i haven't had a shower for the best part of like a day melissa and i still outside she'd managed to have a shower but that was about it and she put a bright pink flowery sort of top on and uh, we were there i was filming it because i thought this is amazing this is amazing to see and we were waving and there wasn't too many people watching him drive in he sees melissa in this bright top and i was like it must have been the first bit of color he's seen in a while and he gives the old royal wave as he drives past who did that king charles gave my wife melissa yeah, really? uh, maybe we should. Yeah, should we, I should t- speak to our social media guys, and I'll see if we can put the video because yeah. it is amazing, or at least the screenshot. But he literally gave us the proper wave. And everyone else where we live is quite like it's office based, and it's quite like you know accountants' firms or lawyers or high end sort of businesses. So ninety percent of people there would have had a suit on, but Melissa obviously had a flowery top on, and I honestly think he must have seen it; it, it caught his eye. Got a bit of color. And then a couple of days later, like you alluded to on the way back uh, when she was obviously coming out of, of lying in rest and going back uh, to get on that final flight to London. We've seen the body go past. That was like an historic moment. It's it's very weird to watch something on the television and then kind of go outside your door in effect see 10 it. minutes later and see it in person. It's very very weird. And obviously when the king was flying in, you've got the helicopter overhead. And it wasn't so much like that for the for the queen's body. It was kind of just a case of you see her come out the cathedral, you see the thousands on the royal mile and then it kind of just sort of was it was kind of Left any of you like just for everyone to sort of as a bit of a mark of respect until she mm-hmm. got to Edinburgh Airport, where of course the world's media were waiting. But, uh, but there you go. So that's what we missed. Oh.
3: Yeah. Well, funny you should say that there is no connection between what we said there and the mm. fact that the celebrity Grave Hunter is on today. Um, there is yes. no connection. Um, we're going to be chatting to the guys about Edinburgh Cocktail Week, aren't we?
4: Yeah, I'm on the blag to try and get a DJ slot. So oh, uh, right. Edim- Edinburgh Cocktail Week is taking place. I think it's from the 7th of October. So that's coming up real soon. So I'm on the blag to see if I can get a DJ slot. Oh. Gary and Georgia are going to speak to us, but it's a really cool event this year. And uh, that's going to be a really interesting chat. So those guys are coming up. And this entrepreneur guy, Tim Hagan, who you might know because he has Hagley Watches. If you know... Um, of tim from tiktok he is like tiktok famous times 10 he is huge on there and he does a thing called follow my journey so he'll go out and about let you sort of know where he is he puts a timer on his ipad and people go and find him and get a watch but he makes these really cool high-end watches he's an inspiration to chat to you were actually getting business advice off him weren't you yeah yeah because he knows
3: what he's doing i was like what about this what would you do and he was very helpful he's a lovely guy
4: as well Um, Are we we, we, we speaking to him first? That's first. Do you want to put him on? I think he deserves to be first. Yeah, Yeah, okay then. Cue Tim.
0: Summer refreshed. With Graham Smith
4: and Johnny. So it is Summer Refreshed and it's our last episode and we'd like to go out on a high by speaking to someone who's been on my hit list for quite a while, I won't lie. Hit list? I'd, I'd reconsider how you say that. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. Yeah, I'd uh, on a guest list. A, because I'm a huge fan of the man, the journey, and I love watches, so it's only right that we welcome Tim Hayden to Summer Refreshed. Hello, Tim. Hi, guys. How you doing? Tim thank you for being on my hit list so to speak. <laughs> um, so just to give a little bit of background if you are on TikTok you will know how important Tim is and his journey is just incredible. To give a little bit of the top line, Tim is the CEO of Hagley West Watches. He is famous for his TikToks. If you go up to him and you find him and happen to say, love your journey, you might get a little bit of a surprise in terms of what you get in terms of his product. He's 52 Apparently, he wakes up at five o'clock every morning, as all good business people do. Is that the reason to the uh, success, Tim, the early mornings in giving away free stock?
5: (laughs) Uh, I I don't think so. It works for me. It's not actually five, but 5.30 I normally get up. I wouldn't say that is the only reason. That's just part of the reason. It just works for me.
4: It's quite hard to sort of summarise your journey. But if we take you back a couple of years, and Graham mentioned this before, that it was just a case if you've always had this dream and you sort of say on your mission statements on the website that you never felt 100% satisfied. Was that just the case ago and a couple of years ago? Right, sod this. You are going to sell the house. This is the dream. This is what I'm going to chase how easy was it to make that decision or did it take many years for you to kind of turn around and go, right, this is what I've got to do. I need to do this. And just to follow that dream and start the journey, how easy was it?
5: <laughs> uh, well, to start the watch company was a very easy decision to make uh, for me. I was semi-retired at the time. So starting a watch company was something It was something that really excited me. As I sort of started developing it and got uh, more into it, I realized just how much of a risk I needed to take and how long it was going to take to build the business. So around about the end of 2018, after about a year and a half of being online, I realized that I really need to set the bull by the horns. And if I wanted this to be a global watch brand, a massive global watch brand, I need to throw absolutely everything into it. I need to throw the kitchen sink at it. So I knew I wasn't going to earn any money for some considerable time. Didn't want to take money out of the business because I wanted to keep all the money in there to reinvest it. Cash flow is a massive thing with with a small business trying to grow. So 2018, I knew I was heading towards having to sell my house to fund everything, to fund me and to fund my life and to look after my kids and things like that. So yeah, tough couple of months, tough couple of months in 2018. And then I thought, well, that's it. I'm going to go for it. So by the time it got into 2020, that was the time I sold my house. So, and uh, I moved into this, this is my rented house. I'm going to be here for another, probably about another year and a half. Still trying to take out as small amount as possible out of the business. Well, I've only just started taking a salary from the business. Things are going well. It's all working. The plan is working. But when you put yourself in this position, yes, it's daunting. But the thing is, you've got no other choice than for this to work. You put your back against the wall (laughs) and you say, I've got no plan B. I've got no safety net. If this doesn't work, I am technically screwed uh so uh yeah i've got no other choice hence why i get up at 5 30 every day the fear of failure i have to keep going day in day out
3: you're a dad aren't you i was looking at your uh, tiktok earlier on i was looking at the the footage of you moving out your old house and everything how yeah. did your family take it when you were like right okay uh, we're gonna sell a house
5: um well th- the other great thing is i'm single so I, did, I didn't have a, I didn't have a wife or girlfriend to convince. <laughs> by the way, on saying ah
3: right, okay, so
5: it, it's a decision I can make myself. I've got two sons. Right. One's young, who it's all over his head, but he loves it and he's excited and it backs me. And my other son, who is he's just he's just about turned nineteen. So when the decision came and I told him I was staying in the house, he's about sixteen. He's fully supportive. But that, that's one of the things. What why I did it really because. I think as a parent, you can say to your kids, follow your dreams, be passionate about what you want to do, do everything, just really go for it. Now, you can't say that and not do it yourself. And I think the best way to put a a message over to your kids is not to say it's to do it. If my kids aren't inspired by this, I don't know what will inspire them.
3: So you said you're single. So are you, is it just you in the frame? Your dad, you're a single dad, essentially.
5: Yeah, single dad, two kids. Okay, so that being tough then. Yeah. Bloody tough. You know, luckily now my son's passed his driving test. So it's uh, taking the burden off all the school runs. But yeah, it is tough, but it's very enjoyable.
4: It's interesting, Tim, to hear just to sort of peg back a little bit when you were saying this needs to be big. It needs to be a success. It is going to be a global success. There's no doubt in your mind that when you started this, Like you were saying, getting up early, it can't really fail. You've sold the house, the cash flow, all those kind of elements that go into starting off a business. I genuinely love watches. It goes back to my dad. Anything from grandfather clocks to wrist watches, what he's had over the years, it's quite a tough market anyway because it's saturated to a degree. What you produce, and for the watches you have at kind of that one three five sort of one fifty retail sort of price, are beautiful, stunning fashionable watches, like the one you've got on now with the kind of sort of the white strap, the eye-catching ones, or the ones you've made, which are kind of that Rolex inference, if you don't mind me saying, with sort of the green bezel. I take it watches as a passion, but did that kind of make a few eyebrows raise when you were looking at maybe getting cash and getting loans and everyone going,
5: watches, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The great thing is I went into it quite blindly. (laughs) I went into it quite blindly. I, I honestly thought that it would take off faster than it did, and then when it didn't, I thought, "Bloody hell, we've got to do something different here." Let, let's really focus on the brand and develop the brand of Love Your Journey. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a hugely saturated market, and it, it's massively. And people say to me, "Did you see a gap?" No, I didn't see a gap. I, I, I'm like forcing a gap. I'm just kind of, I'm just squeezing my way in and and, and leading. But what I did see a gap in was the way in putting over the story putting over the journey communicating with the audience what i've seen and uh, where uh, the gap is it's not necessarily in the watch market it's it's the fact that there's a gap in the way that businesses operate and the way in which they communicate with their audience and how they connect with the audience that's the gap it's not necessarily the actual watch and you're yeah, right we you know we have used influences from other uh, watch companies we look at what watches are popular what people like we put our own individual twist on them uh, we have you know watches which are completely unique and different from all of the brands as well. The way we connect with the audience and the, the amount of work I put into that, the way I go out and hand deliver, and meet people, the fine tin challenges, all those kind of things, I understand my audience. So I understand what they want. I understand what they wear. I understand their age, what sort of house they live in, what kind of job. I understand what they are really looking for. And so I'm matching my product to my audience needs. And it's the best way. Best way to understand your audience is to meet them, shake their hand, look them in the eye, and that's what we've done. Tell
3: us about one of these fine Tim challenges, then, because I was looking at this on your TikTok, and you you do get about,
4: don't you?
5: <laughs> no one said that to me since I was since I was at college. That's uh, the single
4: man <laughs> element.
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do get about a bit. Yeah, you're right. I do the fine Tim challenge. I'm always looking for new angles. I've got hundreds of different ideas on how to communicate and how to create content and how to approach the audience. And one day I just thought, gosh, this audience of mine is really growing. We had half a million people following me and I thought, gee whiz, that's a lot of people. Let's test it. Let's test to see how far we've actually reached. So we went to London one morning, sat on the South Bank. I put out a TikTok. I said where I was. Uh, I went live and I said, right, the first person who finds me and says, love your journey will win a watch. As I sat down. It was a cold day as well. I had a coat on, scarf, a hat on. I thought I'd be, I'm going to be sitting here for two or three hours. But one minute, 30, I think, was it what, about one minute, 30 seconds? A guy <laughs> ran up behind me and said, love your journey. And I just sat there. If you ever see the video, I just sit there go, you are joking. And I'm just in complete shock. <laughs> he, he was totally out of breath. He ran. And now we thought, well, how far can we push this? How far can we go? Well, let's just turn up somewhere in Manchester, in Bristol, in Leeds, in Birmingham, Milton Keynes, all over. We've been the Lake District. We stood on the side of a lake in the middle of blinking nowhere, and you know people still come up. So then we said, right, okay, let's take it abroad. So we did it in Oslo. I was bound by three people in forty-seven minutes, and then I thought, right. Let's do it in the Arctic Circle. We did it in the Arctic Circle. It found in 11 minutes in the Arctic Circle. So we've done Paris, Amsterdam, Rome, Barcelona, Boston, New York, DC, Philadelphia, New Jersey. We're just pushing it as far as we can go, really.
4: It's absolutely crazy. And I was absolutely gutted, Tim. So in Edinburgh, I live in the West End. So when you were near the castle, kind of on the grass market area, I... Really? I mean, I would have been absolutely out of breath. I would have probably had to have a 20-minute window um, because from my door to where you were is about a good 20, 15, 20-minute walk. But just seeing and getting involved with that sort of thrill, and you can't help it because it is just a chase. You kind of know someone's going to find you. But if you were there for two hours, I know with your personality, you'd make that two hours quite entertaining. (laughs) But it is amazing to see people.
5: It's been unbelievable. I mean, Barcelona was found in seven minutes which was freaky. Uh, someone took a day off work because they knew I was going to Barcelona just so they could come find me. Then we flew <laughs> to Rome the same day. So we went from Barcelona directly to Rome. We set up a I was found in eight minutes in Rome. And I thought, well, I've got another watch here, so let's start the clock again. I then sat there for one hour, 13 minutes, waiting. And we had to leave Rome. If we waited another minute, we'd have missed our flight back to uh, Stansted. At the very, very last <laughs> second, someone ran up and shouted, "Love your journey! Unbelievable! It's incredible!" And the other thing, one other thing as well, people now started wearing jogging outfits, knowing when I'm going to be coming to their city, so that they can <laughs> sprint as fast as they can. <laughs> I'm not joking. They turn up, they've done their sports gear, they've got their you know their like a modern
4: day Mister Motivator. <laughs>
3: So you deliver some of the, the watches yourself, don't you? And I was also watching this. What brought
5: that about? That came about before the fine tunes. The hand deliveries started before. Uh, it's just another way of meeting the audience. I did this before TikTok. I did it originally on YouTube. So we did the videos and we put them out on YouTube. I edited them together. Then when TikTok came out, you know, we made shorter versions. I got an order once from a guy. He, he ordered about 12 watches in one go. And I looked at his order and I thought, it's just down the road. I'm going to go and hand deliver them. Uh, So I went to his house, knocked on his door, and he wasn't in. So I went back, and he was in, and I hand-delivered the watches to him. We put together the video on TikTok, and it got got about 2 or 3 million views. That's worked really well. By the way, that guy's now gone on and ordered 76 watches off me. Seventy six. He must be absolutely minted. He's 76. Is, he, is he selling why them
4: himself? Why are you still renting your house?
5: <laughs> he's not minted anymore. <laughs> not minted anymore. <laughs> so
4: the idea then is
3: that you're taking on the big boys in the watch world, and yeah. how has that been going? Are they are they annoyed?
5: I, I don't know, I don't really give a fuck to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think monkey's what they think. Um,
4: <laughs> That's that question, done.
5: Yeah. Uh, well, do, do you know what? <laughs> this is the thing, right? Uh, everyone's gone online and everything's become impersonal. The way to grow a business is by word of mouth. You grow a business through word of mouth. Nothing's changed in thousands of years. Your audience will grow your audience by talking about you. So what can you do to encourage your audience to talk about you? You do something different. You go to see them. You, this is what loads of people miss out in business at the moment. They're looking to go as wide as possible. And I'm not doing that. I'm just going as deep as possible. So I'm going to my audience and say, I'm meeting you. I'm shaking your hand. I'm saying thank you. So I'm really grateful for your business because you're keeping this roof over my head. You're paying for my kids' food. So I'm deeply grateful for all the for your support. And it's my audience that are talking about me. When Dave buys a watch, And he walks into the office for the first time on the Monday or the pub or whatever, wherever he's going. And someone says, oh, Dave, you've got a new watch. It's him saying, oh, yeah, I have. Dave is going to say, oh, yeah, it's off this bloke. I've been watching him on TikTok. He does his hand deliveries. He does his fine team challenges. He's sold his house. He's done the crowdfunding. He's trying to build a global watch band from his kitchen. You should watch him. That's what I'm doing. It's not rocket science. And that's how the business is growing. And that's how it's growing so quickly. Encouraging word of mouth.
3: Where do you go to sort out crowdfunding? I'm really interested in this and I'm going to take notes when you say it.
5: All right, crowdfunding. 2018, I made a decision. I'm going all in on the business. Up until then, the business has been really run by somebody else, a partner of mine at the time. He's no longer with the business. And I looked at it and I thought, if this is going to work, I've got to take the bull by the horns and really run with it. The first thing I knew was we're going to need some money. We're going to need funding. I was really interested in crowdfunding, but I knew for a successful crowdfund to happen, I need an audience. And I need to sell my story and my journey of what I'm trying to do to the audience to build up a reputation and also for them to, to gain confidence in me that I am capable of growing a business. So, what I did was, I posted every day on Facebook and Instagram what I wanted to do, why I was doing it, and how I'm doing it. Every single day, I posted and posted and posted, but I knew I needed a story behind the brand. So, what I did was, I networked with loads of cricketers. And I got cricketers to start wearing my watches. So this is basically what I did. I uh, knew a guy called JP Doomley, a South African cricketer. I knew him because I flew out to Cape Town to meet him, and I asked him to wear a watch. I said, Bud, you know, you're a famous person. You've got a big pool here, and you're going to be quite a big name for us. Could you wear the watches? And he said yes, but no money, and he did it. It was fantastic. He introduced me to uh, some more people, a guy called Carlos Brathwaite, who is a, a commentator on Sky TV, and also on the BBC, that's cricket. He virtually single-handedly won the World Cup for the West Indies a few years ago. Um, so he was a big name. And then I said to him, he told me once he was in the competition playing cricket in Dubai. Uh, he told me on the Wednesday, I found out all these cricketers were staying in one hotel in Dubai for this competition. That was, I think, on a Wednesday. I flew out on a Thursday. I got there Friday morning. I thought, well, I'm here for four days. I'm going to network with as many of these cricketers as possible. And I spent four days networking. And on the last day, I went to the ball bar uh, with a rucksack for the watches. I put all these watches out on the bar. And I had about 25 international cricketers standing around me. And I said, pick a watch. Just do me a favor. Post it on Instagram. Put a picture of the watch on you and your face. I did that. It was a massive risk going out there. Then I used those pictures and I said, I've got these international cricketers that are wearing watches. This is how big we're going to be. But I knew I needed something even bigger than that. So I networked with all the cricketers. I went, to every, I went to as many grounds as I could, as many matches. I was shaking as many hands as I could. More and more cricketers were talking about me. This little community of cricket fans and cricketers were all talking about me. I still wasn't selling any watches. We were turning over £27,000 a year. And then I went to meet some cricketers. I saw a guy called Chris Gale. Who is basically one of the biggest cricketers in the world if not the biggest and i saw him basically kind of black my way into the west indies breakfast at their hotel at the beginning of the world cup in 2019 and i was sitting there and i saw him walk in and i just smiled at him and stared at him until he came over he came over i started talking to him i then stalked him throughout the world cup i managed to meet up with him again in leeds basically went to the hotel they were staying at. I stayed up all day waiting for him to come back. Eventually he came back, sat down with him for three hours, told him everything I wanted to do with the business. And uh, he became my business partner. So I then flew out to Jamaica, which is where he lives in Kingston. Wow. I signed a contract with him in his bar. At this stage, we're still turning over 27,000 pounds a year. Hardly anything. I went to his birthday party. I came back, I put together a media team. I flew back to Jamaica four weeks later. I filmed a video for crowdfunding. All this time, I'm documenting every step of my process on Instagram, on Facebook. 11 days after coming back, I launched the crowdfund campaign. In eight hours, I broke the world record of it launching. It valued my business at 3.4 million pounds when I was turning over 27,000 pounds a year. We raised 353,000 pounds, and that enabled me to kickstart the business and to relaunch it in 2020. So I, I relaunched it two years and two months ago. So that's how you do a crowdfund over a long period of time. Can I just say, if
3: you're looking for Graham Smith, the cricketer, you know the the South African, is he still the the South African cricket captain, Graham Smith? It's spelled exactly the same way as me and that is my name. So if you can't get him, I'll have the watches and you can just say it was him. (laughs) Yeah,
5: Yeah, he's retired now, Graham Smith. (laughs) I know people who know him. I don't know him directly.
4: It's one of them, Tim, isn't it, where taking the chances and and what have you, and like you say, thinking big. And from seeing all what you have posted when you would, like, say, blagging your way into all these different cricket grounds and what have you, it is thinking big. And I don't know if if he's an influence on you or not, but when you start getting into stories about Richard Branson, and there's so many, and you've only got to watch some of those masterclasses to kind of get a rough idea of what he's like, he rung up Boeing when he wanted to start Virgin Atlantic and was like, I want all the tellies in the back of the seat. I haven't got any money to pay for it. It'll cost about 10 million to do it. But I tell you what, because I want to place this huge order, would you mind just chucking him in as part of that? Because to Boeing, it's either we'll lose, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds because you're not going to get an order for the sake of just putting a load of tellies in the back of the seats. And it's just those little tiny things of going, right, this is what I'm going to achieve. This is what I'm going to do. I just need to find an outlet to do it. For where you are now then, Tim, just sort of using that kind of analogy, coming from the kitchen, always thinking big. How upscaled is the business? Have you got the media team? Have you got offices, big warehouse? Where's the production for the watches based, if you don't mind me asking?
5: Yeah, sure. First off, I don't have any offices. I, I'm still working in my kitchen. This is my kitchen here. You might have seen someone behind me. A couple of people work with me. It's, we're, we're still based in the kitchen. I design all the watches here, sitting here at, at my desk. All the watches are manufactured in Shenzhen in China. They've got the best manufacturing processes in the world. And they're the only people that can produce a watch of this quality uh, for this price. Those are the facts. I, I think a lot of people don't want to hear that. I think a lot of people have a a preconceived idea of China, but China's manufacturing processes are so far advanced of anything anywhere else in the world. I think the only other country that could possibly catch up with them in the future would possibly be India, because you need a massive workforce. It's it's, just one thing. China's investment into infrastructure, into the manufacturing processes, is second to none. It's incredible to see it.
4: And in terms of what's sort of next on the cards, I know you've mentioned the USA, Tim. Further down the line, what is the vision if you were to look forward maybe that kind of traditional three to five years? Where do you reckon um, Hagley West is going to be in, in a couple of years' time?
5: Um, we're going to be a major brand. There's no doubt about it. You know, that the plans that we have put in place, what we've done for the last two years since relaunching everything, because we had all this money from the investment, it meant that we can just absolutely go for building an audience. And we've done that. Uh, we've built a good audience, but we need to build an even Big audience as well. The audience we have, we've got such great depth of them. It's, it's them that's growing it. So what we're doing down the line now is we're going to take the same model that's been successful here in the UK, and we're going to put it into the US. So we're taking risks. It's not cheap flying to the US with a camera crew and, and doing all that. But we've got plans for three trips to the US in the next three months. Uh, we're going to do more fine Tim Challenges across Europe. We're just going to develop that, we're going to develop our audience. That's the short-term plan to get us through to the end of this year. If everything is successful, we'll have a, a good Black Friday event as well. And then what we're looking to do is expand the team to develop all the ideas I have for the Love Your Journey uh, branding, which will be on the Hagi West social medias uh, platforms. So we're basically doing it in steps. We know where we need to go, but we can't jump to that level. There's so many little steps to go in between. In the end, long term, we're looking at clothing. We're looking at expanding the ranges. We're looking at uh, more work with Love Your Journey, doing media work. I want to do documentaries. Uh, I want to do books, Love Your Journey branded clothing and other products as well. So it's huge. The thought process and what we want to do. Smartwatch. I've got an idea for a smartwatch with a completely new revolutionized revolutionary idea around the software or based round of your journey, which will make the smartwatch completely unique. So many ideas, but we have to keep it kind of in the now. In the now, I'm still sitting in my kitchen with some of my laundry and my ironing to do on the chair back there. You know, yes. this is the reality of it. <laughs> you know, um, my, my son is still upstairs in bed. I've got to kick him out of bed in a second. Uh, so, you know, this is <laughs> it's everyday life as well as running a business.
4: But that's the thing isn't it Tim it is put in and I know this is you know at the heart of the business it's your journey but it's showcasing other people's journeys other people's stories and kind of somehow letting those two come together in the shape of the product they buy or the journey they undertake to get to that product and hearing some of the some of the stories I just want to touch on one little thing Tim I know you're uh, you've got the whole NFT thing I know it's coming soon and I know that's sort of under development I, as a bit of a, not so much a joke because I have money in crypto, obviously not as much not as, as much I did, as did yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I could probably check the app in a minute and it'd probably be down to about 24 pence, but um, <laughs> that's crypto for you. But I made, as part of the podcast, I made an NFT my whole base around it was on average it costs between a 15 to 17 18 years of age if you've got one child they're growing up it gives um, in effect about £55,000 out of pocket it costs a lot of money because they want designer clothes, they are going out more, they're going to their first gigs, they're going to proms someone older gets married so it costs money if to you know bridesmaids dresses and shoes and all the rest of it the latest tech, so that was sort of my idea of my nft it's quite difficult to explain it is is quite difficult to explain i'll I'll send you the link just in case you want to part with some of the crowdfunding uh to purchase it off me (laughs) but it was mad really because the nft community i sort of put it out there We made just a couple of Instagram stories on it. We put a couple of posts on it. We were tagging in people like OpenSea where you can buy it. Um, But the NFT community were actually a little bit behind this and were very supportive. And I think that's the thing where you go, it might only be one idea, but you sometimes surprise yourself, don't you, by what actually might come back when you put something out there into the ether.
5: Yeah, definitely. And you're never going to find out unless you take the risk. I think this is a, you know, you're just not on the nail on the head, really. You know, you've, you've got to take a chance. You know, the more risk you take, the more opportunity comes along. And it's identifying those opportunities. So, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get, do you? I, I think the other thing is, as well, with documenting my journey, what I wanted to do was show people just how many ideas I have that that fail. Yeah. We, you know, we, we've done things that have just fallen flat on the face. we have them it a go and that didn't work. But I'm, I'm not worried about other people's judgment, because I do get other people's judgments coming, flying back at me, going, oh, that didn't work. I go, yeah, well, this is business. You know, and it's not to worry about the things that don't work. And then when you find avenues that do work, double down on those avenues. Explore them, expand them. Yeah,
4: give it a go, see what happens. Um, just on the NFT, Tim, before we touch on Branson, what is the vision with the NFTs? Is that just to create your own artwork or be sort of a, a site you can purchase it from? What, uh, is it too secret to tell us?
5: <laughs> yeah, I can tell you exactly. I want to revolutionize the watch industry. So I'm going to be selling golden ticket NFTs. The holders of the golden ticket NFT will then have access to an app, it's a watch designing app. You know, when I said to you earlier about being really connecting with the audience and developing depth. I'm going to put the power of the design of all our future watches in the hands of the NFT holders. So they will be able to then design their watches. Every NFT holder gets a vote. So we'll be able to get the designs together and then they will vote on what watches that we produce. That's one element of it. Because it's not just when you say, live your journey. I want my audience to be part of the journey of Hankley West. And there's no other brand doing this. We're going to completely revolutionize it. We're going to decentralize the brand and put the power into the people. My my vision is to make everyday watches for everyday people, and they're going to be designed by everyday people as well. It, we want to completely revolutionize the industry. That is the first stage and the main stage of the NFT and the reason why we're doing it. Uh, but there's going to be other things with the NFT as well. There's going to be other utilities, but I can't tell you about those at the moment.
4: This is music to my, my ears. I can start designing something else a little side hustle. <laughs> Tim, can I
5: ask a question, right? And this is but this is
3: kind of just like because I wanna know from you, right? So I've got um a bit of a podcast production business, does bits and bobs of audio and radio, got some work in. I would love to scale that. My dream is to scale that and then like do similar sort of thing that you aim to do with the like watch industry. What is your advice for someone who's saying my position starting like a new niche business in a few sentences? for how you could scale that.
5: Okay. Offer value. That's the biggest thing. Okay. Offer value. Whatever you do, what is the value for the person watching? What is the value in your customers? What's the value to your audience? What are you giving that's going to give them value? What are they getting from it? That, that is the most important thing. That has got to be where, where the mindset is. Is this entertaining? Are they getting value in entertainment? Are they getting value in money? Are they getting value in product? Are they getting value in services? Or what are they learning? Are are you giving them information? Are you educating them? What are they getting out of it? What value are they getting? And then once you sus giving out value, there's three things then. And that's uh, consistency, persistency, and patience. And
4: Tim, just touching back on the, the point about Richard Branson, because I didn't want it to, to go missing when we were talking about the NFT. So um, feel free to, to jump back in with that one.
5: Yeah, well, Richard Branson is, of all the entrepreneurs you mentioned, he is probably the, the most inspirational entrepreneur that I know. I know that Elon Musk designs and creates fantastic and wonderful things. But what I love about Richard Branson is that he has no particular skill. Elon Musk is a a genius and designs and creates and does all those things. Richard Branson has what he lacks in skill set. His mindset and how he goes about everything is incredible. And I think loads of people ask me about entrepreneurship. And I keep saying entrepreneurship is not a skill set. It's a mindset. When I uh, listen to his audio books and I, I listen to everything, I can relate to Richard Branson so much in the way that he's got ADHD in the way that he starts his business, that he just goes for it, that he just puts everything on the line. So I I, I think Richard Branson is very, very similar. The only difference with Richard Branson and I is that Richard, all, everything Richard Branson does has about four or five extra zeros on the end of it.
4: That will come in time. He might have a little bit more of a beard than you as well.
5: <laughs> I'm looking a bit stuffy today, guys. I must apologise. <laughs>
4: I'm really happy that what we see on TikTok is exactly what it is times 10 when we speak to you because you can't not love a the journey and the personality you bring to to what you want to create is just infectious and please let me know when you're next in edinburgh because i'll uh, i'll get me jogging gear on i'll be ready and prepared straight from the gym and i'll have a head start <laughs> out the blocks to try and find
5: one of your watches <laughs> Good man. Cool. i look forward to that i look forward to that and it's been a pleasure to speak to you tim thank you thank you for having me guys this <laughs> is
4: Summer
3: refreshed. So there we are. Watch advice there. How to set up your own Richard Branson-esque business empire from tim who's huge on tiktok
4: johnny what's this now because you you're aren't you getting something out this next thing as usual well yeah so summer refreshed even though technically this is our last episode and summer ended on the 23rd of september just I for your information 30th oh, of october three, you know, a
3: few days ago that yeah, yeah
4: yeah a few days ago uh the clocks go back on the 30th of october so oh uh, you've kind of yeah which is always a bit horrible and mm. with someone who's who's got a cold because the season's changing. Um, You know, feel sorry for me. Just before the clocks go back, Edinburgh Cocktail Week kicks off. So um, we thought we'd speak to Gary who's the actual kind of the owner of the Cocktail Week, and Georgia, who works alongside him. They put on this huge festival. It's on for longer this year than what it has been in the past. It's on in the West End in Edinburgh, so very close to the castle, and it's a really lovely venue. There's some amazing brands there, there's some amazing businesses. So you've kind of got the national scene and the local scene. And I thought we'd speak to them, get a little bit of info behind it, and also see... If I can blag, because obviously bills are going up, I thought, you know what, I mean, if I can see if I can blag a little bit of a DJ set. So this is what happened when we spoke to Gary and Georgia from the Edinburgh Cocktail Week.
0: Summer refreshed.
4: So at this stage, we welcome Gary and Georgia from Edinburgh Cocktail Week. Hello, guys. How are you both?
2: Yeah, good, thanks.
0: Good, thank you. Very excited for it all.
4: And Gary, I'm just going to dive straight in. So this has kind of been your baby, Edinburgh Cocktail Week, over the past couple of years, has been sort of your vision. Do you want to give us a little bit of an explanation to what's gone on in the past and what you've got planned for 2022?
2: Going right back to the very start, we started Cocktail Week back in 2017. So this is actually our our fifth edition of the festival. and Yeah, it's just really grown over the years. So back in 2017, it was actually just a three-day event, Edinburgh Cocktail Weekend. The response to it was incredible. It was it was absolutely massive. We had, uh, I think, about nine thousand people along that first year, and it was so busy. We actually, in fact, had some bars over the weekend running out of booze. So it kind of showed us how popular the, you know, the event was, and there was a real appetite for it. So the following year in twenty eighteen, then we took it up to Edinburgh Cocktail Week, and that's when we introduced the Cocktail Village as the element of the festival. Um, and since that, it's really just grown and grown and grown. So the way Cocktail Week kind of works is you buy a wristband for the festival, you just buy that through our website it's £8.50 this year and essentially that gives you access to £5 cocktails in 120 bars around the city and then it also gives you free entry into our cocktail village at Festival Square and that's kind of like the hub of the festival you know it's filled with like pop-up bars from all like your favourite brands um, in collaboration with local bars as well There's a full program of live music in there, there's street food, there's some really cool masterclasses happening this year. So normally people kind of head towards the cocktail village, um, get their wristband, get a copy of the guide with all the maps, hit up a few bars in the cocktail village, have a bit of food, and then they plan where they're going to hit in the city. So they kind of work out what we call like a cocktail route. Um, with the maps and yeah they head out the door and they kind of bar hop around the city and this year it's our biggest ever there's 120.
4: And this has just grown over the years then?
2: Yeah we've we've just really grown over the years so last year despite Covid we had our best ever turnout and it just shows that people really love the event and they want to get back out there and, and supporting bars and supporting hospitality and just have a really good day out with friends so Every year we try to introduce something new to the festival, like new experiences. So one of the things we're really excited about this year is um, what we're calling Mirror Mirror Bar, which is on the rooftop of the Glass House Hotel. And that's um, kind of like a, a bit of a crazy idea we had one day in... We wanted to do something a bit different and a bit exciting and something that would work well for like TikTok and Instagram. So essentially the Mirror Mirror been
0: It's been fun, hasn't it, Gary?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm so excited for it. And we shot images a few weeks ago and Georgia was very kindly our hand model. So you've maybe seen some very sparkly, Um, images online with George's hand sticking through a a wall with a cocktail. We're having fun with it, and it's not been done before in Scotland.
4: So uh, it sounds cool, but what does it involve?
2: So essentially what it is, is uh, it's a a big, shimmery, neon wall with... mirror frames on it and you go up to the frame and just like you would in, a, in, in the film you would say mirror mirror and then you place your cocktail order and out through the mirror frame appears your cocktail
4: this is well cool <laughs>
2: so it's very Instagrammable. it's a it's a real yeah. kind of like new experience i suppose not many people have had a, a cocktail served to them through a mirror before i think it's going to be a popular one
4: so is it like through the mirror you see like the server or does just like a hand just deliver you the cocktail
2: yeah, you, you literally just see a hand. A very pretty, <laughs> uh, manicured, nail-polished hand.
4: Nails on fleek, I imagine. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> not hairy man hands, although... <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> tell <laughs> you know, tell Johnny the idea, Gary, for the, um, um, the mysterious the, hand. The
2: hotel manager actually has a few... Uh, surprise gloves up his sleeve that might come as a bit of a surprise to to customers on the other side of the wall when when the hand comes. I don't want to give anything away, but it'll either make you jump or laugh.
4: Like a uh, Michael Jackson glove is what's going through my mind there.
2: Could be? (laughs) we just steer away from that this year.
4: (laughs) So guys, it's worth saying if you don't know where it is in Edinburgh, um, Canada Castle is the best way to sort of describe it. It's Lothian Road where the village is, where the Van Gogh exhibition was earlier this year uh, near Usher Hall. When you put all that together, and obviously these things don't come together overnight, and I know we've had conversations in the past uh, and I've been sort of lucky enough to know you guys for a little bit and know the planning, what goes into this. But give us an idea of the planning and am I right in saying as kind of one festival ends, you think of the next one?
2: Yeah, um, it kind of, you know, when, when one finishes the next, the planning for the next one starts. So we actually are already working on next year and that is kind of primarily led by the fact that we are a relatively small team. Um, George only came on board a few months ago actually so it's just myself, my colleague Jimmy and and George are kind of like the core team for Cocktail Week. We have to start planning early because we have limited resources in, in terms of the team, although we are hopefully going to expand that next year, but also just in terms of the brands that we work with, they also plan so far in advance. So we need to be talking to them quite early, you know, to get them involved in the festival and and hear their plans as well. Because a lot of the the developments that happen at Cocktail Week are are led by the brands and trends that are are happening out there, and their focuses on on things like Uh, non-alcoholic cocktails we're seeing more demand for that lately not just for people who are maybe pregnant or or don't drink at all but some people actually want to go out now and even though they do drink alcohol they are prefer you know they're opting to have a non-alcoholic cocktail so as with many things like this that trend seems to start down in london and then it grows out across the city so yeah we're seeing more brands want to get involved in the non-alcoholic side of things and we've introduced a lot of that to cocktail week where many of the bars will actually offer a non-alcoholic version of the five-pound cocktail that they do but yeah we we plan all year round. So as soon as this one finishes, we spend about a month kind of going through all the feedback from customers, all the feedback from brands. Look at things that went really well, and how we can build on that. Look at you know new opportunities. And my background is originally PR, so I'm always about news stories and uh, and growing the experience. And what new things do we have to talk about the next year? And but it's it's really driven by just wanting to create an experience that the customers really enjoy, and that they know when they come back next year that there's going to be something new for them to experience, and it just it doesn't become repetitive. But it's a cocktail week that kind of develops in line with what our customers really want.
4: And in terms of like a new experience, Gary, tell us about uh, the whiskey one. And this is called Dramming in the Dark, isn't it?
2: It's a whiskey tasting. And many times we'll hear people say things like, I don't like whiskey. I've heard that myself. I was never really a whiskey drinker before, but many times if you let people uh, experience whiskey in a way that um, defies the norm. I suppose most people just think you're only allowed to drink whiskey neat. Over time, brands have learned that The main thing is that people are drinking their spirit and it doesn't matter about about mixing it with things or uh, mixers or whatever. So once you've experienced whiskey in a new way, quite often people go, actually, that was really nice. That doesn't taste like the whiskey that I've had before. So Drowning in the Dark is all about introducing people to whiskey, but in a new way through the the medium of cocktails. So it's an experience that happens in the cocktail village. It's 10 pounds for a ticket and you get so much for that 10 pounds. You get like three drams three mini cocktails and three popping capsules, which are really cool. So they're like these little pods that you put in in your mouth and and they just burst. So it's like a little explosion of flavor in your mouth. So we're hopeful that loads of people are going to try that in the cocktail village. But again, that's kind of just an example of something new that we want to, to offer people that maybe they wouldn't have gone for before if there hadn't been something like Cocktail Week to introduce them to that.
4: And that's the thing, isn't it? You're encouraging um, an experience. So it's not like booze booze obviously plays a part. It's cocktail weight, but it's not booze heavy. It's about interacting, trying new things and kinda of thinking, right, if you're never gonna do it then, when are you gonna do it? And at a decent price.
2: The five pound price mark it's also like it's not much of a gamble. You know, your full price cocktails these days in in Edinburgh you're kinda of looking at £9, 10, 11 pounds mm minimum and you know only maybe a year ago a cocktail was kind of more like the seven or eight pound mark so you know the the price has gone up considerably just like everything is at the moment you know five pounds for a cocktail with cocktail week is it's a really really good deal but it's also not a lot to lose if you you take a chance on a cocktail and you go actually No, that's not my cup of tea. It's only been a fiver, and hopefully you can pass it on.
4: I was going to say, yeah, um, yeah, there's always someone in the group who will go, go on then, I'll have it. Pass it over here, I'll finish it. It was dead nice, that. Um, Guys, do you want to give us a bit of... um information on some of the brands you're working with across the next 10 days of the festival from the 7th of october onwards
2: yeah of course so um some of the the recognizable names you'll you'll see are are brands like grey goose very premium vodka that will be a popular one um havana club rum jack daniels absolute vodka bombay sapphire gin Patron Tequila, Jägermeister, a favourite of mine. Quite Didn't you like for- Gary? <laughs> I know, I do like a little
0: Jägermeister.
2: It's medicinal, it's it's good. That's
0: right, great, we we'll get your um, name. Right.
2: I'm really excited to have Tequila Rose with us this year because yeah. it's a really popular brand. And Again, very Instagrammable
0: loves, and lifestyle, isn't it? It's got really, yeah a real good following. It's pink them and them. it's fun. Yeah. And
2: we have more kind of local brands to local to Edinburgh and local to Scotland, which is really important to us because you know it, it is a Scottish event. It's it's not one of these festivals that goes around the country from city to city. It was born in Edinburgh. It's staying in Edinburgh. We we don't. We don't do any other festivals around the country. So um, we've got Bo Gin and Bo Vodka, which uh, are local to, to Edinburgh and to Scotland. Um, And we've also got a brand actually launching exclusively at the Cocktail Village this year called Strangers Point Gym, which I'm really excited about because the two guys behind it are just really, really nice guys and they're so passionate about what they do. And they've put a lot of investment, obviously, into starting up the brand. and They've built a horse box, which I've seen some pictures of, and that's what's going to be in the Cocktail Village. And then another kind of local smaller brand we have is Mixtons, who do um, pre-bottled cocktails. They actually came to the festival last year, had such a good time that they emailed us straight afterwards and were like, we want the same position in the Cocktail Village as uh, you know for next year because we just want to come back. It was great. And they got loads of um, – their business is about subscription boxes as well, so you can subscribe and get a box delivered to home. So they, they've had loads of subscriptions off the back. If I was to make a recommendation for them, I would say their spicy watermelon cocktail is – it's really, really amazing.
4: So of course in this day and age it's really good and important to make sure the look of the festival itself in terms of how it physically looks, the brands which are on board and um, for the, the uptake on social media to make people you know, talk about it and tag people in. So, Georgia, from your point of view, how important is it and how satisfying is it to, to kind of make sure the look and the feel of the festival looked right, to make sure you're getting that interaction and people do genuinely talk about it and word of mouth and what they see on social means that they'll kind of make the way there?
0: I think it's been, you know, Gary and I, when we sort of first got into partnership, it was quite a big discussion for us is, is talking about how we portray the Cocktail Village going forward, because in previous years, we've really looked at using, you know, user generated content, which has been lovely on top of professional photography and all that kind of thing. But this year, what we're really trying to do now, you know, we've got so much going on, we've really wanted to capture every element of the Cocktail Village itself, including the events, including the work we're doing with PR um, influencers everything that we're going to be doing with all our brands and the bars around Edinburgh. So it's not only just bringing, you know, local Edinburgh business together and, as Gary said, a lot of the more international brands, it's just allowing it to be a really interactive experience, which is, I think, what a lot of Gary's ideas and concepts, you know, re- originate from, is then how is that going to look online? How is that going to look to people? You know, what will sell tickets? Is it visual? Is it fun? Is it light Does it encapsulate what cocktail week really means? So for us, these sort of next two weeks are really crucial and, communicating to our followers about the sort of development of the cocktail village, how everything's going, how everything's going to look, getting everyone excited for it, but also then in and around the cocktail village and the bars and during the event is capturing you know the sort of feeling and emotions of it and the excitement around it because there's so much going on there's almost not enough hours in the day to actually capture every single separate element but hopefully with a little bit of help from myself and the team that gary's got around them it means that we can really bring it together this year and have it sort of that you've got that amazing user-generated content which will come through you know anyone it doesn't matter it doesn't, you don't have to be an influencer if you're tagging us you'll be getting shared if it's friends family colleagues or you're bringing your mum your dad your business partner you know you can come and enjoy some drinks but then also if you are an influencer and you're coming to one of our events we would absolutely love to see like the exciting content you can create and tag us in because primarily of course we rely on a lot of word of mouth in a sense but you know it's primarily been over the years it's, it has been word of mouth that's really brought all this together and and everybody's always then bringing extra buddies along or friends or buying extra tickets for for loved ones because it's generally quite a sort of you know group orientated experience a lot of people will plan it with friends with family and and go out and i think Capturing that content and that essence of that in the village will be really important as well as in and around Edinburgh.
4: So the last time we spoke, Gary, um, it was over a drink or two and we kind of um, sort of got it out of you that you were like, oh, I've booked, uh, I've booked like an a tribute band. What do you reckon? Um, so in terms of the entertainment, it isn't just about the cocktails. In terms of the entertainment, uh, there's a few people, Callum Bowie, I think I've got down here, High Fade as well. Georgie, have a stay with you, tell us a little bit more about uh, what you've got in terms of the entertainment to go alongside the cocktails.
0: That's my brother, Harry Highfade. So he's the front man of that band, actually. So they're local to Edinburgh, but they've had a bit of a claim to fame recently, haven't they, Gary? They've gone a bit viral, so mm-hmm. it's come, come at a good time. They're hitting over a million views on Instagram. Again, just going back to social media, the power of social media is phenomenal. Um, you know, Harry's been locally doing a lot of residencies across Edinburgh, um, you know, in the likes of Stramash, Whistlebinkies, um, Cole Townhouse, but... Gary's always had um, Harry at the cocktail village, even back when they were like a little startup poster band, you know, just a couple of guys jamming away. Yeah, I them on the I, street. yeah Gary found them <laughs> on the street. So it's really come. It's really come from, um, you know, as we're saying there, it's the same with like Edinburgh Cocktail Week itself. It's grown over the years through support with like a lot of local Edinburgh, which is amazing, um, and. Harry always ha- Has had a place In his heart For a cocktail week I used to sometimes Jump up and do A couple of songs If he'd given me Enough cocktails But um, you know We'll see I might be doing A cameo this year That's up for discussion But um, the, the music this year That Gary's curated And picked Is everyone's actually Come with a bit Of a connection Been really carefully Considered But also there's A bit of love And passion in there For the likes Of local Edinburgh Musicians like Harry It's just it's amazing When you go in there And you've got that With a mix of DJs And you've got your Cocktails and your Local bands But also local brands With you know The more ups scaling up market it's um quite exciting to see it's a real dynamic real dynamic lineup
4: so i was just going to say what did your brother go viral for then
0: he was doing lots of reels and a lot of them weren't getting many views and he was really try try trying and he'd actually said to me look i'm just going to stick at it and it was it came to me for a little bit of advice because you know sisterly advice i'm the big sister and he was like what should i do and i said just you know stick at it see what you can do Um, and it was edinburgh fringe had started started to kick off and he was um getting himself recorded in the street funnily enough that's how gary found him was through you know years ago down on the street performance so he kind of went back to his roots um, and he started to post these reels of them performing on the street and live music just you know in the moment nothing was pre-recorded it was literally just recorded off the back and then put onto reels and now they're hitting over like 1.5 million views and it's gone stratospheric he's gone up like fifty thousand followers on his musicians account high fade if you want to follow them come out of nowhere so he's got a really good support network now and he loves the cocktail festival he absolutely loves it so for him it's like one of these biggest times a year it gets gets a lot of excitement enjoy it with that so he's, he's really looking forward to it
2: they fully yeah. deserve their success because harry and the guys are really talented and they're also just pushed, really nice genuine. Hard.
4: and in terms of the entertainment schedule then how does it look
2: yeah well we actually kick off with probably the one i'm most excited about this year is uh nathan evans yeah. Who you might not recognize his name, but I'm sure many people will recognize his sea shanties. That kind of just like exploded during lockdown. He's with us for that first opening night on the Friday, the seventh, mm-hmm. and then um, every night at eight o'clock, we kind of have like a headline band, and in between all of that, we have a mix of DJs and other kind of acoustic artists and and, and local bands. But yeah, Nathan kicks off on Friday. High fade, Harry and yeah. the guys are with us then on the Saturday. On Sunday, um, we have uh, a set of, a collective of DJs called Outset, who are local to Edinburgh. They're really up and coming, so we're very excited to have them with us. And then on Monday, another really exciting artist called Callum Beattie, who we all know is local to Edinburgh, and um, Mm -hmm. he's been at all, like, the major music festivals, and he's hit number one in the Scottish charts, and so, yeah, he's he's doing really well. So very excited to have him with us, Um, and then on the Tuesday, we have actually a Swedish (laughs) girl um, called Lily Alberg. Wednesday, we have ABBA Tribute Band. that will be fun row
0: and centre, can't (laughs) we? I've been told
2: it's the best one in the country, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Thursday, we have Callum Bowie with us, and again, he's local. He has just kind of exploded on TikTok. Actually, that's where I find him. He started off by hanging out his bedroom window and playing his guitar to footfall and um, traffic going past. And yeah, he's just got like millions of views now and a real big following in Edinburgh. And then we finish up with a saxophone and DJ duo to close Cocktail Week on the Sunday. So yeah, it's uh, definitely going to be a lively cocktail village.
4: And in terms of the times then, guys, so what time does the village open? And in terms of the entertainment, what time does it kick off? And kind of what time does it get a little bit racier as the night goes on? So give us the deets.
2: Uh, every day we open at midday. So it's midday to 11 every day, except Sundays, We close slightly earlier at 8, we have live music every day from 1 p.m. Um, So 1 p.m. right through until close. Um, Obviously, the guys need to take a bit of a break. So in between the uh, during the breaks, we have uh, DJs with us to keep the party going. You could say from five o'clock onwards every day is when things start to get busier. Where the cocktail village is at Festival Square is just surrounded by businesses. It's like like the
0: hub for all the fun. Everyone starts off there.
2: (laughs) Somebody wants to build a cinema on Festival (laughs) Square. But uh, we're, we're determined not to allow that to happen. So we're just no. going to strap ourselves to the trees. And we've kind of claimed Festival Square is the home of Cocktail Week. So you will not
0: be confused. <laughs> <laughs> is this like an empty threat again? <laughs> oh, no.
4: Now, to be fair, I have been threatening this for ages. Um, obviously, 21 years in radio. I can actually mix-ish. So based on that, any chance of a little DJ set? During the cocktail week for uh, <clears throat> yours truly, no, I think we
2: could find him and maybe a little twenty minutes here or there.
0: Johnny, can you send us some demos and we'll have a chat.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I'll uh, I'll get my people to uh, to speak to your people then. No
2: problem. We'll find, find you a slot.
0: Find nice little one o'clock slot in the afternoon.
4: Yeah, that'll do me. I'll uh, I'll start it off. I don't mind that.
2: I'm sure, being the influential figure that you are, you could. Bring lots of people could, down to the cocktail village.
0: Oh, I'm sure it could bring us a little party, couldn't I?
4: I'm sure my wife and her mates will be supporting me for those 20 minutes uh, sections, guys. Um, listen, before we go, I'm going to put you on the spot, cocktail wise. Um, what would you go for if you could choose one sort of traditional one and one from the cocktail week? Uh, what would it be? So, Gary, I'll come to you first.
2: My personal go-to cocktail most of the time is just a gin martini, just something really simple. And also, it does exactly what it says in the tin. You know, if you're going to drink a gin martini, you're drinking it for one reason and one reason only, and that is because you want to drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a, a gin martini with a tankery 10 gin and a lemon twist, and that's me. I, I'll drink that all night. If I was to go for something a little more experimental, I'd probably head towards one of our prestige cocktail bars. So that's a, a selection of nine of the best. Uh, cocktail bars in Edinburgh. Most of them are award-winning and actually known all over the world. Places like Panda and Sons and Hey Pally, which has recently entered into the top fifty bars. So yeah, um, yeah, that's a cool American. one, Gaddy,
0: isn't it? Really yeah, cool, they are
2: aperitivo-style cocktails are just. There's a hundred and
0: twenty cocktails to choose from. It's hard. I know. There's only a
2: hundred and well, with the prestige, there's only a yeah. hundred and thirty-four to choose from. So only.
4: And Georgia, what would you recommend from the menu then?
0: Well, I've had my eye on Tiger Lily's Glittery Cocktail. It like almost looks like a disco ball. It's one of their £5 ones. And that is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, the thing it's the Disco Paloma, it's called. I've always had my eye set on trying that one. So I think that'll be one of my first ones to, to go in and grab. And then, to be fair, you always end up getting caught by surprise once you're in the village because there's so many pop-up bars and everybody's so helpful and they just want to let you try all their drinks. So... You end up, instead of having one cocktail, I think you end up having about 10 really most times.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Another disclaimer of please drink responsibly. Too easy. And in terms of what you need, uh, Instagram, TikTok, all the socials, uh, how do we go about finding out more about the Edinburgh Cocktail Week?
0: Yeah, so we've now got a TikTok as well, which is great. So if you're looking us up, it's going to be at, and then it's Edinburgh underscore cocktail underscore week underscore. So that is for Instagram. For TikTok, it's the exact same. Um, for Facebook I think it's just Edinburgh Cocktail Week for Facebook and then if you're looking to get us on the website it's edinburghcocktailweek.co.uk and if you go in there you will literally find everything from the events to how to buy a wristband you've got the blogs in there you've got the entertainment lineup. you've got all 120 bars you've got the programme so really I would take some time If you've got a minute, even on a lunch break, just to go through that website and sort of start planning your cocktail experience out because there's so much. But you can get all the information through the social media channels as well. There's, um, you know, if you're on the Instagram, you can head to the link in our bio. That's got a breakdown of all of our sort of key events and everything in there. So really, once you get onto the channels and you get following them and you've got daily updates going up on there and the website is getting updated daily with new information. So you can catch it there.
4: Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. Uh, Good luck with the festival. Um, It's going to be a blast, I'm sure.
0: Thanks, Johnny. Thank you, thanks, you Johnny. There. Have a good day. This is summer refresh. Mm-hmm. I
4: think it's only further after the cocktail week and entrepreneur Tim. Uh, we throw over to um, the an interview which we've been very excited to do, and it was the first interview we booked in moons, moons ago in before, June or something. Johnny, like I don't remember,
3: one of the first things you said to me was the celebrity grave hunter, and I went, "What is this?" And I've been looking forward to this for so long, honestly.
4: And we touch on it in a minute or two, but basically, Paul Allen, so he discovers unusual things. So he likes to go around and look at graves of, of dead celebrities. Uh, it's handled in a nice way. He, you know, he, he's very comfortable with death, isn't he, this bloke? Which does sound a bit a little too bit comfortable, odd. if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. There's an interesting conversation about crows and all kinds come up. But, oh, yeah, um, I forgot about that. Crows are very intelligent. You'll find out more in a minute. Paul is kind of, it's his hobby in a strange way. And he's he's into like Halloween and sort of, I don't want to give away too much, but you'll find out more in a second or two. But he was our first booked interview, even though he ended up being on the last episode because he does actually work for the NHS as well. So he does have a full-time job. So trying to nail him down is a little bit difficult. During his interview, um, the phone went, didn't it? Which was very bizarre when we were talking oh, God, about God, as well, there was
3: no one there.
4: And his house phone, bear in mind, he had his mobile phone in front of him. So we knew he wasn't even doing it as a bit of a joke. There was that mannequin behind him, which kind of moved, which he put like a Mike Myers Halloween mask on, which is a bit strange, like an old butler. It was an interesting chat, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? It was good to
3: find out about uh, the final resting place of Rod Hull as well.
4: It was after all these conversations about Rod Hull, (laughs) which have flashed up in the past then. Yeah, it was quite good to put that one to bed, so to speak. Without further ado, this is our final interview on Summer Refreshed for the first series. This is Paul Allen, towards the Celebrity Grave Hunter, but his channel on YouTube is On Things. And just to point out, when we first spoke to him to book him in for an interview, he had around about, say, about 2,000 subscribers. He's now up to the best part of about 50,000, so that proves how his journey has gone sky high. In the past six months, so there's a lot of people who also like unusual things, just like Paul.
0: Summer refreshed with Graham Smith and Johnny.
3: I've been very excited about this for the last few weeks, and and this is because, and I'd like to think this was the reason that we've got him in. Me and Johnny were just talking the other day about the sad demise of the comedian known as Rod Hull. He fell off his ladder whilst he was putting up a TV aerial, and when he only wanted to watch an international football match that was on Channel Five. Is we we had to speak to you because we've got Paul Allen with us and he has actually been to the grave of Rod Hall. I'm not clapping the grave of Rod Hall. We are clapping Paul Allen. Hello, mate. How are you?
1: you? I'm very well. Thank you. How are you guys? You all
4: right? Good. Yeah. Good. All the better for seeing you. You were one of the first people in the infancy of the podcast project that is Summer Refreshed uh, when I reached out to you because I would just sort of say, Paul, when we've sort of talked about this and like Graeme's mentioned, one of the most unusual things you do is go round and see graves of dead celebrities, obviously dead celebrities. I went straight in with
3: Rod Hall. I do apologise. It's just I was obs- we're obsessed with Rod Hall.
4: This I know. Rod Hall's been one of them because we had a fringe special a couple of weeks ago, an Edinburgh fringe special, and we had the cast of Avenue Q, which obviously a puppets puppets led us down the Rod Hall element. But you've been to the graves of. Scylla Black, Jeremy Beadle, former wrestlers, Tommy Cooper. There's loads. As well as that, Paul, you're a trained celebrant and stuff, and you can do that and do the legal side. And we'll touch on that in a little bit because, obviously, you can then basically do the official sort of elements of it, but people can get married in unusual places. So this is the sort of theme, isn't it, Paul, that unusual things and strange things is what kind of makes you tick. Do you want to give us a little bit of info?
1: Yes, certainly. Um, Years and years ago, as you guys know, I I, I was already a presenter myself. I have been for over 20 odd years now, but I came into it quite late. But I've always had a keen interest in the paranormal. And where that comes from was I saw what I believe was a ghost when I was a kid and it scared the living crap out of me. It really did. Describe
3: it. Describe it. I'm always interested in people's first visions of a ghost. Yeah, of
1: course. I was at my mum and dad's. They're they're divorced now, but uh, their house had like typical old narrow stairs bedroom either side. And as a kid, I opened the door to go to the toilet. And I'm showing my age now. We had an outside toilet back then, you know. So I had to literally go down these steep stairs. But I opened the door and there was this old lady silhouette just doing that to me. You should it just wasn't cycle. one of the
3: neighbours on the bog. That's what I thought he said. <laughs> <laughs> Open the doors, go to the bogs.
1: An old lady sat there. Mrs. <laughs> from I <mean, she's> <laughs> two doors down. Senile dementia kicking in. But it just scared <laughs> the out of me. And I hid under my covers and I will never forget it. And the next morning, my mum had to come in and unravel me from all these bed covers. I was literally white as a ghost. And it just played on my mind for ages. And um, I was always petrified of the paranormal. I hated it. I was like, oh, this scares me. Um, you know, out of me. But it was. can got... It's all right. Oh, that's right, yeah. It was when I got a little bit older. And if it
3: scares the I... shit out <laughs> you on the toilet, that's the perfect place for it to happen, as well, isn't it? I think it was. A it was classic, the ideal right?
1: place. It was all happening at once. But yeah, so uh, as I grew older, you know, I was in I was in the services for a little while, and I came out, and uh, when I, when I left the air force, I was just sort of like, oh, what can I do? Because I've got one of those brains. I need to be kept on the go all the time. I was like, well, i gonna start getting into the paranormal a bit more. started reading up on it to, to almost like to confront my fear that I had from a young child. I started going on ghost hunts. But as a kid as well, I grew up next to a cemetery. My mum still lives there now. And I used to go in there and feed the crows. And while I was in there feeding the crows, I used to read the headstones. And I think that's where my passions come into where I am now in my life with my YouTube channel. So it all sort of like amalgamated into one. I did a paranormal radio show. I had lots of great guests on there. It went international because it was on the internet. We had so many listeners from America, Australia. You know, everyone loves a good ghost story, don't they? Paranormal investigations and things like that. So I started up my own business doing paranormal investigations. And we literally stopped just before COVID hit because the venues are asking too much money now. They want £500 to come in and do a ghost hunt. You then got to charge people £50, £60, £70. And you can't guarantee anything's going to happen. So, you know, and then when anything doesn't happen, people start moaning at you, going, I've spent 60 or 70 quid on this, mate, and I've got nothing. I always try to keep it as low as possible for the customer and make minimal profit for myself because I enjoyed it as a hobby and as an investigator, I used to like investigating. So it was great along those lines. Um, Sadly, my paranormal radio show got (laughs) cancelled. Boom, ta-da, you're off air. So I was I was like, like, right, can
3: what, I ask, was it to do with the Ofcom rules that they took you off? Rules around it. stuff like that.
1: Yeah, we, we had to state it was for entertainment purposes only, and yeah. all that sort of nonsense, really. And now the landline rings. How weird. My landline never rings. Let me just shut that all off. Right. Sorry, guys. Go on, answer it. It what might be Ofcom. <laughs> add your yeah. whole number. They ring me sometimes. Oh. <laughs>
4: That's not a ghost, is it? Nah,
1: bye. Sorry about that. Um, oh, oh this is strange no
4: don't oh don't honestly yeah it's Ruddle
1: <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> <laughs> checking on his it telly <laughs> um, so yeah so uh, and then I, I started a, a paranormal um, YouTube channel YouTube for paranormal is flooded you've got a lot of urban explorers these days that turn their channel to YouTube oh a demons got me and all that crap and I just I didn't buy into it in the end I was like so I stopped that Then I started doing a little bit of urban exploring on YouTube. I don't know what this fascination with YouTube was all of a sudden, but I just enjoyed it. The market was saturated, and I thought, nah, this isn't right. Go to something that you're passionate about, you want to do. I've seen, I'm not going to lie, I've seen a few um, channels in America which I watch relentlessly, which I love, and I just hit it hard. I just went straight in. I I think the first one I did was Alec Guinness, who played Obi-Wan Kenobi, and then I did a guy that sunk on the Titanic, Frederick Fleet. Then I started looking a bit bigger. I went to uh, Robin Gibbs from the BGs to Oxford. Then I went to London, Doug George Michaels. And, and it just started growing and growing and growing. And I just saw the, the subscribers were going, and the viewing figures were going like that. And I thought, right, maybe I'm onto something here. It's something I'm passionate about, as we probably all do working in some sort of media or radio, a bit pop culture-y sort of stuff, you know. And I thought, this is great. I'm doing a hobby that I enjoy. Then I got monetized for YouTube. People have been very generous with their donations. They all have. They know that petrol is expensive. YouTube doesn't really pay a lot unless you're a big, big person, you know. So, yeah, so it's, it's all sort of fallen into place, really. And now I see lots of others popping up all over the place, even copying my thumbnails, having this picture on the same side of the grave. And I'm like, "Mm, cheers, lads, come up with something original, you (laughs) know. (laughs) But
4: I think it's worth saying, Paul, for anyone who's listening now who hasn't watched any of the sort of Unusual Things videos and the graves you've been to, this isn't a joke. It's handled very sensitively with a background to that particular personality, that particular name. The one I watched recently was Tommy Cooper. There's obviously going to be people listening in the same way we talk about Rod Hall, not really knowing who these sort of people were, but Tommy Cooper was a huge, huge star for many years, big comedian, and sadly actually passed away live on the TV. Now, this happened in 1984, so the year I was born. It happened two months before I was born, and I remember growing up with it, and Graham will say the same, that people would be watching the telly, and my mum and my dad would have been sat on the sofa, and he kind of sadly slumped up against the curtain yeah. I watched that this morning, which is a little bit weird, but I kind of thought, I've never seen it. A little bit odd to watch, you know, before we, we, we spoke. But it was so, so sad to see, and he passed away with a bit of a um, kind of a heart attack. You really dive into these stories about what the career was like how that particular celebrity passed away. So is it quite hard to almost pick where you want to go based on the sensitivity that you've got to discover so it doesn't look like you're you're sort of glorifying anything tragic that might have happened to them?
1: I think with my, you know, because like I said, as you said, I work at the NHS and I work as a celebrant as well. So I conduct lots and lots of funerals. So I'm very empathic with people within both of those lines of work. And I think that empathy, without blowing my own trumpet, I think, comes out when I'm doing my stories. Because like you say, I do my research on the past, on their life, and I handle it so delicately. What we're getting here with my personality is my happy personality because I'm talking to you yeah. guys. I'm talking yeah. about something I'm passionate about. But when I'm doing that, I'm calm, Paul. You know, I'm just going in and I'm doing it professionally as possible because I'm aware that people's families will watch. I've had, yeah. funny enough, we're talking about Rod Hull and so forth. His stepdaughter told a friend that she loved the video and that got back to me. And that oh, made that's me nice.
3: Up. That's good. Wow.
1: Yeah. Um, so I've had quite a lot of good feedback from, from any relative that I've had it from. I've had good feedback. I understand that, um, oh, the guy in Only falls and Horses. Uh, Buster Merrifield. No, the other one, the one that played Mike that died at 50 years old. It's just this bit <laughs> up my head. Oh, I, know, I, I know who, who was you was mean. He, he, me he passed left.
4: away of a heart attack, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, Mike from the Nags Head. Yeah, uh, that's yeah it. So- Kenneth
1: McDonald. Kenneth Ken McDonald. Oh, yes, yeah. Bless him. Sorry, his relatives got in contact and said that they were happy with what I'd done as well. So that's so nice. But I have so many. You have to excuse me. I have so many names rushing through my head. Going back to the Tommy Cooper thing, uh, I was 12 years old when that happened in '84, and I I watched that myself as a kid. You know, and it was it was we all thought he was just having a laugh. Joe doing his job.
3: yeah.
1: Yeah, um, and it was it was when you look back and reflect on it. It was a really sad situation but i personally believe um, and like i said in the video i don't know him but knowing his persona i think that's probably the way he wanted to go you know yeah. having an audience laughing at him i know it's a bit morbid and if i had people laughing at me for doing so, if i was a comedian i would find that a compliment if i was on my way out and the last thing i heard was people still laughing at me i'd be like yeah brilliant No sadness
3: is there for him. There, like it's just that's happening. He's in in his elements. He's doing the was it the Royal Variety Show? He was doing it on Her
1: Majesty's something or another, Her Majesty's show or so. Oh, right. (laughs)
4: Looking at some of the comments are very nice and respectful, and and the fact Mm. that a lot of people go oh, I remember watching this with my granddad and he was a huge fan and it brought back memories of sitting on the sofa watching that back in the day. So it's just kind of using a very sad occasion, you know, when you're reflecting on someone's death from X yeah. amount of years ago, and almost sort of going right, remember them as you would do in a funeral. Remember that person and the joy they brought to people. For anyone who passed away recently and wasn't sort of um, you know was a, of a younger age for, for putting it that way, Paul, do you try and reach out to the families and say I have recorded this. This is what it's like. Or do you sort of judge that on on each sort of each person you go to?
1: Yeah, I, I, if I'm honest, I don't reach out to the families. I think because I think I would get a straight no because they wouldn't understand yeah. the context in which I'm delivering it. You know, if a family member contacted me afterwards and said, oh, mate, I'm really not happy, then I'll take it down. You know, I, I would have yeah. total respect for them to yeah. take it down. Yeah. But touch wood. And I, again, like you say, it's probably because they're the elder generation. So, yeah, touching on younger generation or more recent funerals is a bit harder already. Do you
3: know, right? Can I ask? Yeah. For example, Jeremy Beadle's grave—does it say on it, "Here lies Jeremy Beadle"? Um, like, is it like—is there any way you would be able to like? No. Is there anything to sort of indicate he was who he was? Do you know what I mean?
1: One thing I always do is when I'm filming, I close up on um, the grave itself and I read the text that's on there. So I'll always, you know, if it says Jeremy Beadle yeah, I mean, you know, if there was another Jeremy Beadle around, I use a website which is quite reliable. Sometimes it has a bit of dodgy buns on there. I make sure I do my research because I travel a long way. You know, I live in Portsmouth. Yeah. I travel yeah. to London. I yeah, recently I've been in Manchester, Liverpool, Blackpool. Um yeah. So some you have to really gauge it on on people's feedback.
3: You know, you were talking about before, you said you started to do this because you used to go to the graveyard near your house where your mum lives and you yeah. feed the crows. I've noticed something about graveyards and crows. That, why why are crows so drawn to graveyards? Like did, was it was it with you, Johnny? I mentioned that crows are really they're really sentient, they're really intelligent. Crows talk to each other about people. They go, "He's a good guy, he's a bad guy." They're one of the only yeah. animals that can attribute personality traits to individuals, and makes them super intelligent. Yet they're drawn to graveyards. What are your <laughs> thoughts on that? Do you think I'm chatting nonsense?
1: <laughs> I no, I I agree. I've, I'm covered in tattooed crows. I've got a big one on the back. I've got one on the arm. You've got
3: a big crow run. tattoo in you. I've just. I've
1: just got anything yeah. on me. Really. <laughs> I've got horror stuff all over me. You know, I've even got graveyards. Look, I don't know if you can see it up there. Look. I had that done years ago but it's like a zombie hand coming out can you see it? It's really in now that though isn't it? I really like that
3: sleeve My, I've just got I, I went from religious iconography on one arm I've got Jesus yeah. there and I've got a casual skeleton here <laughs> there's sort of horror influence I can't do it He's
4: got a uh, Jeremy Beadle on his <laughs> back uh, which is a little bit weird Paul. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so,
1: but yeah oh. no,
3: crows and graveyards crows and graveyards that's what we were saying what are your thoughts oh. on that?
1: Do you think they're onto something? 100% they always say that there's a crow that's on lookout and he or she is the one that says as soon as you see a crow they'll start gobbing off won't they wah, wah, you know yeah um, there's a fella yeah and there's usually a load of or a murder of crows as they're called nearby what a name. Um, uh- i know it's great i love it it's like they're, they're shouting out and saying right he's a, a risk or he's not or you know and uh, my experience of them because i like i say i was a bit of a weird kid i used to sit in the cemetery for ages feeding them and my experience with them is that they're very good judges of character. You know, if they see yeah, a weirdo, they'll, they'll pick up on it and then they'll all scatter or, or, or they'll all come together. And um, experiments where they've used crows and they've done different tricks and things like that. And they, like you say, they've been proven to be one of the most intelligent animals.
3: This is going to get quite serious for a second and forgive me for doing this. So my ex-partner died quite young after the relationship had ended. He was only 35 when he died and it was devastating. I'll never forget the funeral and this church up a hill and the one thing that always stands out to me and my partner now who's we were all in the same friendship group was that all the crows turned up to watch the funeral and it yeah. seems so unusual to me it's like they were like they knew something really important poignant emotional was happening and they're all watching and i'll never forget that so that's why i always think crows graveyards they're onto something they kind of understand that there's something going on there
1: and crows even have their own funerals when one of their own dies they all gather around it and they sort of like have this sort of like somber sort of moment. It's really bizarre. If you ever see one, you ever see a dead crow on the floor, in the century, usually in a century, you'll see a gathering of them around it and it's almost like they're having their own sort of wake sort of thing for, for their yeah. one that's past life. So I'm wondering whether they pick up on the fact that that's why we're there. They just are, are aware of that. People are going to go, that guy's <laughs> bonkers. What have you got that idiot on there for?
3: <laughs> now, we didn't get you on to chat about crows. We should have got should have got someone from uh, the British Wildlife Foundation on to chat about uh, crows. <laughs> the grave of Bill Oddie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bill Oddie's not dead. Is he? I think he
4: is, isn't he? No. He'd let me see. Not. Is Bill, no, Bill uh, Oddie? No, I think he's passed away, sadly. Bill <laughs>
1: Oddie. Writer. he's an oncologist, isn't he? he?
3: He's into birds and crows. He is, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's, yeah, he's alive. Eighty-one, born in Rochdale. Isn't Google
4: great when you've got
3: a? Well,
4: I apologise to to Bill Oddie and, and
3: his family. Uh, his
4: family, I'll swiftly move on. <laughs> um, can I ask?
3: So you're a celebrant, right? Yeah. And you can do funerals and stuff like that. How did you go about that? Because I say this because in two thousand and five, and I was going to try and find out my email there. Uh, I registered as a celebrant on the internet. I became the the Reverend Graham Smith.
4: <laughs> I did it for. Why me do sh- I not know this? I, I, no, I
3: did it for my show. I was doing. It. I used to do Drive in Yorkshire, and uh, I just thought this would be funny. So I used to insist people <laughs> referred to me on air as the Reverend, the Right Reverend Graham Smith. For really? a few extra quid, I could have done services and stuff. How did you manage to become a celebrant? I take it you haven't just bought it on the internet. How are you doing <laughs> it?
1: No, no, no. The thing is, there's no governing body on it, right? So training providers can set themselves up. Now, I, I looked into it last year. It was during the pandemic because I was working for the NHS. I was working the bits off and I was like, do I really want to do this? You know, this pandemic carries on, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, right, I, I have worked in a few more directors before. So uh, I went to a company who were like... Um, They gave you a formal qualification. It's like a City and guild registered qualification, whereas there's lots of others that don't. I had to do all my training at home. They send you all the paperwork. You write out services. You have to film yourself conducting a funeral at a wedding. That's so bonkers, especially during lockdown when you're on your own and you've got that thing behind you, and that's it, you know? And I sent it off, and you have, like, coursework, and I got distinction. I was like, oh, wow, that's all right. In terms of the funerals, it's a tough nut to crack because a lot of funeral directors have their favourite celebrants, uh, or they obviously they have vicars as well in case the people that pass away want a religious service. Uh, but if they want just something about their life and you you just talking about the good things that you know and what they went through, it's a real tough base to crack because I've been around so many funeral directors, knocked on the door. Now nah, we've got our own favourite one, sorry, bye bye. And then you'll find one or two that use you for a, a bit, and then you don't hear from them again, and then you do. It's really bizarre, but. Um, In a weird way, I enjoy it. I enjoy what you're doing for the family. I enjoy the fact you're speaking highly of someone that they care and love, obviously, has passed away because they're in no position to stand up and want to stop. You know, you do get family members that do, um, but not to conduct the full service. So it's almost like a privilege and an honour to do it. It's nice when they come up afterwards to say thank you. And you feel like you know that person as well It's passed away because you learn so much about them. You know, you go and meet the family at their home, first of all or in the funeral directors, and then you're in constant correspondence with them. And all you're doing basically is talking about their loved ones passed away. And it's almost like a bit of uh, bereavement sort of let off for them, counselling, if you like. And for me, it's a case of I get to know the person. So when I talk about them, I can talk about them with passion and empathy and, you know, the love that their family want to show for them. So, yeah, it's, it's great. Just on the bright side, I'm now a lord as well. Look, my lady lord? One. I'm a lord. Oh. <laughs> what do, do you know, did you get like a
3: bit of land with that as well? Like, <laughs> that's,
1: like, yeah, I have, yeah. I'll tell you. I it's thought a sponsorship. So. It's a sponsorship for my next video. They got in contact with me uh, and they said, will you do that for us? And obviously they'll pay me and I have to talk about that. And I get a little one square foot of land in Scotland. and a Oh, lord. right. And you
3: get a lordship. Do, do you get to yeah. sit in
1: the House of Lords then
3: on the old gravy train? That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, we could just sit there and fall asleep, get paid ninety grand a year, I've turned off. That'd be lovely. Yeah. I'm here, side
1: mate. I could go around doing some <laughs> work in there, measuring them all up, couldn't I? Getting them ready. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> So it won't be long now. No, um, Not wrong, mate. As, if you don't mind me saying, Paul, as as well as you being, shall I say, comfortable with death, I, I, and that sounds a, maybe a bit of a you know a, a strong headline, yeah. but. This sort of element of what you do, you know, from the celebrant work to obviously going around the, the graves. Just before we go, Paul, as this records now, if you're listening to this podcast, obviously, of course, it records all of our visuals as well, and we put various things out on social media. This will have to go out because right behind you, describe what is behind you, Paul, because this is catching my eye more than you.
1: You think it's going to slip my throat or something, do you? <laughs> I know. Um,
4: I'm, I'm, I'm on edge. But it's a big... Like, like mannequin with a Mike Myers mask on, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a six-foot mannequin. It's one of those ones that used to be to buy buying Asda a few years ago. And it does, you know, if you plug it in, it does move and breathe and all that sort of stuff. But what?
3: Got- oh, my God. I, don't
1: know. I can't that- have a dressing <laughs> gown on
3: a door without
1: shitting me pants.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, and it's it's got a Michael Myers mask on from Halloween Kills because it's got on the burn down the side of the face. I'm a massive fan of the film Halloween, the original one. I love it. So... Um, but yeah, my living room, I've got a suit of armour over there. I've got another skeleton over there the a top hat. I've got crows on the skulls everywhere. Basically, I love sort of gothic-y type of things, you know? You sound like Um, the tattoo
3: place I go. The the, the fella that I go to in (laughs) in Liverpool, he's he's so sound. His name's Tom Kelly, and he's so into, like, gothic and horror that when you sit there ready to go in, you're almost like, am I going to come out of here alive? Just for a second, he's got bits of Mike Myers
1: skulls everywhere. It kind of sets the scene. My DVDs over there are mainly all horror and weird films and stuff like that. It's just... uh... You know, we all have our little unique personalities of different of things. Like, yeah, I think sadly, you know, that's mine, but...
4: No two people should ever be the same. And um, okay. and that, that's, even though, yeah, I would be petrified probably walking around your house. <laughs> <laughs> but can we ask before we run out of time, but can I ask yeah. who, who's next?
3: I had written down like, <laughs> <Who's> <laughs> Your plan picking people out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, who's next grave-wise? Any graves you'd like to um, see? What, that I've already
1: recorded or that I want to go to no
3: or... they, like it's a kind of the wish list oh um I'd the not wants of to... a better phrase <laughs> <laughs> JFK yeah. you,
1: know, you know that kind of thing uh, yeah, but J- do you know JFK's sister is actually buried in England I'll tell you a couple quickly uh, George A. Romero the director of Zombies Dawn of the Dead the original one 1978 he's yeah. buried in Canada yeah. love to go to his Brandon Lee because I'm a massive fan of the film The Crow and he's buried with his dad Bruce Lee and because he like, died during
3: the-, the film didn't he
1: yeah, he got shot, didn't he? he died in, in production of the film. And Jim Morrison, who's in Paris. But I do get lots of requests. You know, I have done Winston Churchill because he was a lot. And he was a controversial, a controversial character as well, you mm. know, from his past in the early days. I'm sure when I run out of celebrities and uh, media figures, then I'll be going around sports people. And, and I don't mean that crudely or, or rudely. But, you know, because there's going to come to a point where there's going to be the big names are going to obviously diminish somewhat. Cause, there's Lots of cremations as well, you know. You go to Golders Green in London, that's where Sid James, Barbara Windsor, or you know, they've got their memorial plaques up there. Um, but I'm gonna have to go there because Bram Stoker's there as well with uh done Dracula. Oh,
4: right, so, yeah. you need to go to the um, the car park in Leicester where um Richard the third Richard <laughs> popped up after all those years, you, you know, Richard that the
1: right? in Leicester. <laughs> In the car
4: park oh man well paul it's been probably the most and we've had a lot of interesting conversations over the past couple of episodes of summer refreshed it's an interesting hobby paul before we leave you do you want to just give a little bit of a plug in terms of uh, you know any social media and how people can find your channel on youtube
1: yeah if you go to youtube type in unusual things mine usually comes up first it's got a picture of myself and like loads of celebrities on the banner so it's quite easy to, to find um i think my instagram is unusual underscore things six 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 surprise surprise this will make you <laughs> laugh right i've got to tell you this before we go they've changed all the national health numbers now but when i was a kid and this is no word of a lie my and i still remember it my national health number on my birth certificate was O C H 666 how bonkers is that
4: girls oh <laughs> I know they, they knew what you were going to get into <laughs> right on so many levels <laughs> yeah. oh
1: yeah fucking bonkers I tell you but they've changed them all now which is a shame I would have like to have kept that. I'm on Instagram I'm on YouTube obviously Um yeah that's where
4: you can find it in terms of YouTube there's you and the best part of 40 odd thousand people subscribe to your channel wow. uh, which has been rocketing over the past Thank sort of you. year or so so there's a lot of people interested in unusual things and I imagine most of that 40,000 probably have a living room like what you do <laughs> 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 Paul, thank you for your time. Paul Allen.
2: This
4: is Summer Refreshed. So there we go. That was our conversation with the celebrity Grave Hunter, as he's known for us. Uh, his channel on YouTube, what he just said, is unusual things, and that was Paul Allen. To conclude, Summer Refreshed, and that has been six episodes over the past 12 weeks. Has it been um, 12 weeks? We've really, weeks three months, enjoyed yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's been good. refreshed. It's been really good. There's been so many things we've done. It's quite hard to put your finger on any of it, really, from being at the Fringe Festival, the Confessional, uh, oh my God, the Grave Home to what we've just heard. And we've had some amazing guests, amazing confessions, an exclusive from Gemma Myrna. Uh, she chose our podcast to reveal her new podcast, which is out real soon as well. Being, DJ Fat Tony. Yeah, DJ Fat Tony uh, is just absolutely epic. And that's the thing. I mean, we could have chatted to him for the whole series. Al Foran. Al, impressionist and comedian Al. Again, who's got a podcast and plugs it on ours. But hey, you know, we're, we're not precious. He, he was talking about, he, he was predicting Spain to win the World Cup. And he knows his football, Al. Uh, he yeah, didn't he give England a flying chance in any no. shape or form. <laughs> no. He didn't even mention them. Not even um, a look-in. Beth Tweddle, uh, Olympic gymnast and mum of two now, talking about what it'd be like if the Olympics came back to London. It's been epic, hasn't it? And and also, mate, it's been lovely to work with you as well. It's been uh, lovely it's been being
3: a- here, Dave. It's been lovely working with you. Can I just ask, yeah. has Beth sorted out that MBE for me?
4: Well, obviously, with all what's gone on recently with, um, I think it's a bit of a backlog there. I, you might get I'll some wait. maybe New Year's Honours list. It might be you and David Beckham. I'll hang on Who for knows? that. I'll give, yeah. I'll
3: give uh, Liz Truss a nudge.
4: eh? we might be back uh, speaking of new year because we might be back at Christmas Uh, we we will be back at Christmas we know that we just need to sign a contract 14th of December until the 4th of Jan are the dates in the diary so summer refreshed merges into holidays refreshed and we'll be back on a weekly basis for a couple of weeks from the middle of December uh, this year until early January 2023, which will be well exciting, and we'll be on every week as well. So not only have you got the World Cup to digest during uh, November and December, but more or less, uh, just as the World Cup comes to an end, we shall rock back up every Wednesday for a little bit of holidays refreshed,
3: and on that bombshell,
4: <laughs> that is it. Summer refreshed, done and dusty. For anything you've missed, it's at Refreshing Pod on Instagram and TikTok, Graham. Thank you, my friend, Mr. Graham Smith.
3: Thank you, Mr. Johnny Collins. TTFN.
4: Bye
2: bye.
0: Summer refreshed with Graham Smith and Johnny.